And uh, look, we, we talk about the local church a lot, and, and I believe in the local church because uh, we are um, just an instrument uh, to be used for the church. Uh, but collectively, when you go outside and you're united with other believers, uh, you are the church out there. And uh, the local church is used to fuel you uh, to, to help us impact that mission uh, collectively. I, I have forgotten over the last couple of weeks to give books away. And so we're giving a lot of books away today. Uh, we're going to give four away. And uh, we've, already, we've already did the names back there while things were going hectic. And I was like, hey, just go ahead and give me the names. So we've already got that. And so I'm ready to give these away. And so the first one this morning is going to be to Mr. Scott Dry. And so, Scott, you have uh, one to come on up and get you. Um, actually, I got five books, Tiff. I'm sorry. I can't count this morning. But this is Scott's Kingdom Values. It's by Tony Evans, and uh, I hope he'll enjoy that, read that. And uh, this is what I've told everybody as, um, as we give away. Uh, once you finish reading it, give it to somebody that you think uh, can use it, and let's just keep it going. Okay, so just give Scott a hand. Uh, the next one is going to be to Miss Juline Ray. Miss Juline. Woo! There was a few people excited for you, Miss Juline. I'm going to give her the book Defined. It's what God says you are. It's from the movie Overcomer. And uh, so enjoy that. And uh, maybe your husband will read that too. <laughs> Our next one, the one that says she never wins anything, Miss Kelly Hurley. <laughs> Amen. I gave her the book I Will by Tom Rainer. Um, that's, a, that's a really, really good book. Like, I encourage everybody to read that. Uh, Tom Rainer does a lot of studies on churches, and uh, he, he wrote the book I Am a Church Member. Um, but that book will impact your life uh, like no other. So I hope you uh, enjoy that. John Weaver. John's excited for you. I'm going to give him Transformational Discipleship. Um, yes, sir. That's a, that's a book that uh, I read while at Liberty University um, and through our discipleship program um, that I was doing my master's degree in. And that's one of the first ones that I read when, when I was there. So Transformational Discipleship, um, you can look that one up as well. And then the last one, uh, this is an oldie right here. This is, a, this is an old book, uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism. Uh, Billy Graham wrote the, uh, the foreword in this book. Um, so for him to write something for somebody, uh, you know it has to mean something. But Dr. Coleman uh, wrote this book a long, long time ago. Over three and a half million copies have been sold um, since it has uh, been in existence. And I got that one a long time ago. And so I'm sure that uh, there's been more and more uh, bought since then. Uh, am I just using the other name? Miss April uh, Calhoun uh, has won this book. So, so, April, when you finish reading that, then I'm going to let you teach a class on the master plan of evangelism. <laughs> it's a really good book. Um, and so, uh, I, I like doing that. Um, I like giving stuff away, too. It's fun. Um, but I, I do hope that uh, you that have received the book over the last four or five weeks will uh, enjoy those, read those, um, apply those, and then, and then practice discipleship through giving it to somebody else that... Um, you think could use it and read it as well, okay? Um, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 today. I'm going to switch it up. We've been in Matthew chapter 4 for four weeks, and on the last week of the series, uh, the Lord would not let me uh, continue using that passage this morning. We're going we're gonna to hit on it a little bit, but we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, uh, looking at verses 12 through 14 today. Uh, we're in this last week, as I uh, have told you. I, I pray that it has been challenging for you. I pray that it has been a time where you have uh, have been able to grow along the way. But I, I, I want you to think about this. Have you ever been down a road before, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a detour sign pops up? Anybody ever had that happen to them? It happened to me on Monday. I was driving in Lexington. I had somewhere to be at about 8.30 that morning. I was on my way back home, and all of a sudden, like, no warning, no nothing, detour. And the next thing you know, I'm in a part of Lexington that I've never seen before. Uh, 
that happens all the time in life, does it not? You know, when, when you think things are going so well, all of a sudden you hit the detour spot. Well, then sometimes, though, in our own life, especially when you see a detour sign on the road, sometimes it'll take you three or four miles outside of where you want to go and then turn you back around and you're passing the same road on the other side that a detour sign was on. And many times in our life, what, what God will do is simply make us go down this path. All of a sudden, you hit a hard stop, you hit the detour, you go off, and then you'll almost do like a U-turn shape to come back the other way to go back to where you were. You ever had that happen before? Maybe because we weren't ready for it. Uh, maybe because we just weren't ready to take that journey on and God just says, you know what, I'm going to give you another couple of weeks and then we're going to reroute you back. So this morning's message is titled Rerouting. Rerouting. I don't, I don't know if you've ever used a GPS before. Um, uh, I don't have, is anybody still using MapQuest out there? Um, uh, MapQuest was big when I was there. Or you had the map. Okay, I remember, I remember traveling to Florida for the first time ever as a kid. And uh, we were going to Disney World to go see Mickey. And, 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 and Mom had the map out to get us to Florida. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm that old, okay? <laughs> Some, seriously, though, like, when you're using the GPS and, and, and you miss the turn, what does it typically say? Recalculating, recalculating. And then the next thing you know, you, 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 you pass the next turn because you're like, that GPS doesn't know what it's saying. I know this way's faster. And it just keeps telling you to reroute or recalculate, recalculate. And so many times in our life, we don't understand what happens in the Christian life when God says, I'm going to recalculate you. I'm going to reroute you. And, and I don't know about you, but, but road construction uh, in North Carolina, uh, that, that's like an all day, every day for the next 30 years. It means delays. It means changes. So if anybody's coming to North Carolina, I just tell them, hey, if you get on 40, expect delays. And, and that's how life is, okay? That's, that's how my life is sometimes. Sometimes we are delayed in what we think should be a straight shot. Did you know there's been many times over the last five years that we've been planting the church and, and been trying to do things that we thought things would be a straight shot, but over and over and over again, God says recalculate try it again. You know, I, I want to tell you about a man this morning. Um, his name is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote the book of Philippians, and he had the ultimate recalculating or rerouting experience that came into his life. And we can find that passage in Matthew chapter 1, uh, Matthew, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and we're going to focus on that today. But verse 12 actually mentions to us a very uh, important theme that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Let's read this passage. Philippians chapter number 1, uh, looking at verses 12 through 14. Paul says these words, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all of the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in this passage, Paul mentions what happened to me helped cause the advancement of the gospel. So the big question is, what really happened to Paul? Now, what was it that, that happened to Paul in this moment that made him say those words? If you remember about a year ago, if you were with us at that time, we were traveling through the book of Philippians at this time. Uh, and it's so funny that uh, we were traveling through the book of Philippians, and a year ago today, this is the same passage that I was preaching. And so, as we look at this, and we were looking through that a year ago on Sunday mornings, as we were challenged each week to be the mission 
to be on mission. Paul, in this very point in time in his life, he was under house arrest. Why was he under house arrest? Because he was preaching the gospel. Why did they throw him in the prison? Because he was preaching the gospel. He was literally chained to what was called the palace guard 24 hours a day. So if Paul went to the bathroom, guess who went to the bathroom with him? The palace guard. If Paul wanted to, uh, to write these letters, guess who was beside him? The palace guard. And the palace guard practically did everything and anything with him to make sure that he wouldn't get loose because they knew the force that he had. Pretty much all of this got set up because he was in Jerusalem preaching and ended up being arrested. He was put out on a boat to go to Rome, being set for trial. This actually happened two different times in Paul's life. Two different times Paul is preaching the gospel for the sake of the gospel, gets locked up in prison. He was sent by the boat to Rome to go under trial for the gospel in Jerusalem. And so we think about it. So while all of this was happening on this boat ride to Rome, what happened? He got shipwrecked. Thank you, John. He got shipwrecked. And all of a sudden, things stopped. He ended up on an island. He got bit by a poisonous snake. Finally gets to Rome. He's renting a home. And he's chained to this palace guard. He was under house arrest for two whole years. The only way that he would be able to see anyone is if they actually came to Rome and visited him. Now, that was a long ways away. That was a long journey. Remember in Philippians where Timothy, wasn't it Timothy that went to see Paul? Was that right? Uh, and, and he's going, and, and it takes a long journey. It's a long, drawn-out journey to get to see Paul. And so all of this is starting to happen. On his boat ride, he's, he's shipwrecked, he goes to this island, he gets in the house, all that stuff. And if you think about it, all of his plans, his daytimer, whatever it is that he had, his travel log, his ministry ideas, in our minds all went out the window in a heartbeat. All of a sudden, life had changed. It is kind of like you and I today, you know, how, are th how are we, how, how are we, and, and how do we deal with things when plans change? Now, I told you a few weeks ago, like, I'm a planner like crazy. And if the day gets messed up, like, my whole entire week is ruined. <laughs> like, I'll let, I'll let one minor change in, in a schedule ruin the whole week. That's me. Okay? Because I'm such a planner. Like, I have to, I have to know. But plans change fast. Traveling changed for him. Okay, maybe it's vacation for you. The vacation time has changed. Everything changes in a snap of a finger. And everything changed. And for Paul at this moment in his life, everything had changed. It had been flipped upside down. In a moment. In a heartbeat. I just wonder, how does he do it? How is his relationship with God changed at this time? The circumstances had changed drastically. That's exactly what we're going to look at with the passage this morning in Philippians. What was his focus on God? What was his focus on the circumstances? How did things change as his whole life had been recalculated? You know, we're in a day and time where our jobs, our calendars, our day-to-day -day activities is always changing. So just like Paul, where everything was changing for him, what was the focus? What was he looking at? How was he able to move forward, but yet still succeed, even though the circumstances had been changed? That really brings us to the heart of this passage in Philippians 1. I want to uh, talk about the certainty to it all. Um, and the first thing that I, I really want us to look at is this. Our plans change, but God's purposes do not. Our plans change, but God's purposes 
do not. So before we really dive into this, into verse 12, there's a word here uh, that is used a few times in this, in, in this chapter in verses 22 and also in verse 27. Paul mentions in verse 22, he really doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't understand everything. He doesn't understand what may be happening uh, two weeks down the road or a year down the road. He has no idea at this point if he is going to live or if he is going to die. He has no idea. He has no idea if, if that palace guard will get summoned to cut his head off that day or not. He has no idea if, if they're going to unchain him and say, Paul, you can go freely today. He has no idea what is about to happen. What about you, though? When you think about your day-to-day -day life, do you really know what's going to happen when you get into the car and hit the road? Do you have any idea what's going to happen at work tomorrow? I don't, I don't mean to mention that, but tomorrow's Monday. Uh, when you have to get up and go to work tomorrow, do you have any idea what might happen at lunch break or what might happen when uh, you get the family in the car to go on vacation? We have no idea. And Paul is in this moment, listen, we're worried about if we're going to get gas at the Shell station or the BP station, and Paul's wondering if he's going to live or die. But we get so wrapped up in the small decision when Paul's got something huge right here. You know, he has no idea how anything is going to turn out. He doesn't know if he will ever see that church or the people at Philippi ever again. Um, he's writing this letter to them. He doesn't even know if they're going to get it. He doesn't even know if they're going to see it. He encourages them that he feels confident that he will go to them. But in verse 27, he says, Whether I see you or whether I don't, he says, Whether I live or whether I die, what matters most is the advancement of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. What matters most is the advancement of the gospel and the purpose that that gospel will serve. So in the middle of him being uh, all over the place in emotions, not knowing if the man's going to live or the man is going to die, he has one thing in mind, and that's the advancement of the gospel. Church, if we want to be true disciple makers true disciples of Jesus, the number one thing in our mind that needs to be engraved is the advancement of the gospel. No matter what it is. No matter the cost. No matter the circumstance. No matter the schedule change. Like if we, if we really want to be obedient to Jesus, then the advancement of the gospel has to be there at all times. When I'm having conversations with people out in the community, I have one thing in mind. The advancement of the gospel. I, I shared a few stories on uh, Facebook this week about, about my week. Uh, Monday and Tuesday were awesome. Uh, plans changed. Okay? I hit the detour sign that morning. I, I get to the church. And I'm sitting around, and I'm just like, I don't feel like sitting in here today. I knew that the church man needed the air condition fixed um, because... Uh, Thomas has to drive it in two weeks, three and a half hours to go to church camp. And, and I'm just like, hey, I'm going to go get this air condition fixed. So I go to this place, right? And, and I meet this man that's, that's been serving this business for 51 years. And you could tell that he had all kinds of things happen in the past. Um, he, had, he had a lot of stuff happen to his wife. She had cancer. You could just tell that things were just mounting up, just welting up inside of him. Um, could tell that he was holding on to some stuff. Start talking to him about the church. Um, he saw the church fan, so, man, it was kind of hard not to talk about the church. And um, I just start pouring into the guy. And it, it was good because the church fan was low on Freon and, and all this stuff. And so had a build. So we had time, right? And uh, I spent, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours with the guy. And he had nowhere to go other than to talk to me. And uh, so, so we were talking. And um, he starts asking about the church. He starts asking about the ministries. Um, starts asking me a few questions about the Bible. And 
he closes the hood down, and I said, I got, I got one more question for you. And, and then, another, well, actually, I had two questions. But my first question was, you know, if you, if you, if you died today, would you experience Jesus? Like, would, would you get to go to heaven? And he just kind of looked at me, and you could, you could tell, like, his eyes were welting up. And he didn't know. But he wasn't ready Monday to give his life to Jesus. Um, but I, then I, I go to pull out my wallet. I said, what do I owe you? He said, don't you worry about it. Don't let nobody see you. Get out of here. And so God was doing something in his heart. I'd love to, to reconnect with him. But then on Tuesday night, we're, we're like 30 minutes behind schedule. But the youth were 30 minutes behind schedule too. And they didn't get to leave when they had planned to leave. And so we're sitting at shortstops, luckily. Uh, this guy uh, was working by himself. So things had to slow down a lot. The food wasn't getting out fast enough. Poor guy. Y'all pray for shortstops. They need help. If you need a job, they'll hire you today. I promise. Um, it's beside Jacko's mini golf. Go get you a job if you need one. Um, that's my that's my commercial for them. Uh, but you know, we're sitting there and a family walks in and they notice that we've been waiting on our food for a while and they're like, "Hey, is he the only one working?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Well, 20 minutes we're into eating supper. Uh, me and Tiff and, and, and Riley, and all of a sudden she turns around. And she's like, y'all waiting on your youth group? I was like, yeah. Uh, where's your church at? And I told her, Salisbury. Come find out they live in faith. They just moved here, looking for a church home, um, praying that they'll come, praying that they'll come to Bible school. But we just started talking church and start talking life and, and start getting to know them a little bit. And you just never know when plans change, what God is going to do, because technically, we shouldn't have been sitting in shortstops at that time. We should have been already over at Jacko's. And so we were able just to sit there, have a nice conversation with this beautiful family. And when plans change, we don't understand it in that moment. But we don't know what God's going to do on the other side of it. And so, church, I, I just encourage you this week, it's okay to slow down. And take it, take it slow. Don't feel like we have to be in a rush. When you go to Walmart, give yourself an extra five minutes and let God work through you. You don't know who you're going to see. Don't, don't rush a conversation just because you've got to get to your next destination. But slow down and let God use you in the moment. Because many times, and I can go back to many situations in my life and even in my ministry where I didn't take the next step in a conversation that I should have. And who's to tell what would have happened? And so when our plans change, understand that God's purposes do not. Paul didn't know, but here's the truth. We don't know what's coming up either. We live in a day of uncertainty, do we not? Now, probably the most asked question I get is when it starts like this. Pastor, what's going to happen? Like I can read the future or something. Uh, during the pandemic, the question that I got all of the time, Pastor, what's going to happen with COVID-19? I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen to the world in a few years with COVID-19? I don't know. Uh, and, and, and it's okay to say you don't know because we're not God. We have no clue. One of the things that I had to learn early on in ministry is not knowing the answers is okay. I remember sitting in my interview to, be, uh, to go through the ordination council, uh, to be an ordained minister with, with, um, with, with Baptists, and, and, and the next thing you know, they're firing questions at me left and right that I had no clue the answer to. And I just like, I don't know. I just know the Lord's called me to preach. I don't know. I, I, I just know the Lord has called me to impact lives. And, and, you know, sometimes we have to be raw in those moments and understand that we don't know everything because we aren't God. One of the things that, um, that, we, that we think about and, and, and um, that we need to confess this morning is that we just don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next month, or what's going to happen next year. And let me tell you, there's people out there that think they can, they can tell the future and they know all these things that's going to happen because the end times of the Bible, and, and they know when the world's going to end. Listen, they haven't got it right yet. Every time they predict it, they're wrong, and then they say, oh, the stars were wrong that day. 
or the grass didn't grow right, or, you know, it's always something. They don't know. The Bible says we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We just don't. I've been hearing it my whole entire life. And we're too worried when Jesus is going to return, but yet our next door neighbor is lost as lost can be. But we're worried when we're going to get to go to heaven. We're worried when we're going to get taken away. But yet we aren't worried about the person that lives beside us. Or maybe even the person that's sitting beside you this morning. Church, we have work to do. I, I, I'm going to be celebrating if Jesus were to return right now, but my heart would mourn as well. Because there's people that I can't take with me. And we have work to do. Here's the thing of not knowing. It can be unsettling. It can be scary. You know, for Abraham, he, he went through a time where he didn't know. God told him to get up and go to a land in which he lived and go to a place that he's going to give him. He had no idea where he was going. But God said, get up, get all your people, all of your belongings, all of your family, and I want you to move. Abraham had no idea where he was going. God also asked Abraham, you know, you have your, you have your son, right, Abraham? You have your only son that I gave you. I want you to go sacrifice him. And what does Abraham do? He does it. He's going to do it in that moment. He's ready to slay his son when all of a sudden everything is spared. You know, in the Bible we read where Noah was going to build this ark. And John tells it better than I do. I, I remember hearing one of John's first messages that he, that he, uh, he taught in, in uh, Grow Group one time. And, um, you know, can you just imagine Noah's out here building this ark in broad daylight, broad sunlight. Everybody's walking by him every day. What you, been, what you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why? It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. They hadn't seen rain in who knows when. And they're just walking by him every day, seeing him build this big old ark, not believing a thing he's doing. God gave Noah very specific instructions, did he not? He just moved forward with the faith stage and did what he was told, started building that ark. In the, milding, in, the, in, the milding, in the middle of these sun-shining days. He's just doing what God asked him to do. Rahab, she didn't know what was going to happen with all the things that had mounted up in her past and that she had no idea that she was going to be used to, to house two spies. She didn't know how it was going to end up for her. Now, I go back to the little boy with his uh, five loaves and his, and his two fish. And, and he didn't know what Jesus was going to do with that sack lunch when he went outside the house that day. There's all of these I don't know. David didn't know what was going to happen when he grabbed those stones out of the brook. He had no idea that those stones would kill Goliath. No one knows other than God. I know that not knowing can be unsettling today. Paul didn't know he would live or if he would die, if he would get to go see the Philippian people again or not. And I'm just here to say to you this morning, it is okay if you don't know. Plans change. And sometimes if we just don't listen to the voice of God, it becomes our plan. And not his plan. No, Paul is telling the Philippians, don't live for a plan, but instead live for a purpose. And that's where we are at in verse 12, because in verse 22, he mentions, I don't know. <laughs> Paul even says, I don't know, but there is something that he did know in verse 12. Look at it with me. In verse 12, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which had happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What he did know was that everything that had happened, there was a purpose for him to advance the gospel. He says, I want you to know, I want you to understand, this is something that we have to embrace. We, we don't know the plan. We have no idea the future. But we do know God has a purpose. And he knew God's purpose for him was to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he also knew that his purpose was to help those that, that, that knew Jesus and that he would help those disciples grow. Paul was locked in. However, the plans would change. Paul's purpose did not because God had other purposes for him. If, you're, if your plans change this week, I just want to encourage you for a moment. Flex this week to know that God's purposes do not change. So know that when the plans change, God has that purpose in it. If our plan and our normal is the only way that we're going to function, then we're going to miss out on fulfilling the purpose when the plan changes. With Paul, the plan was not worth dying for. He didn't give his life for a plan, but instead he was willing to give his life for a purpose. That, that the, the most God-focused and the most God-advancing and centered thing that we can do uh, is focus on fulfilling God's purpose, no matter what happens with the plan. Think about it. The only reason there is a book of Philippians in the Bible is because Paul's plan's messed up. Back in Acts chapter 16, Paul was in prison for the first time, and during that time was when he was connected with the people at Philippi. Okay, Philippians exist because God messed up Paul's plans, but the purpose was not altered. So remember, plans change, God's purposes do not, but I want you to think something else through. It's not what happens to me, it is what happens through me. Number two this morning, it's not what happens to me, it is what happens through me. It's what God does through me that ultimately matters think about this here with paul paul is in this house okay we said he was under house arrest this ultimately is the goal on him for for like two years now they're, they're going to have him there and if you go through the entire book of philippians i'll tell you he mentions it about five times that he is in chains or he is in prison he doesn't mention one time what he's actually going through in prison we have no idea what his day-to-day -day looked like there's no complaining from him. He's not complaining about the food that they're serving him. He's not talking about the guy that he's chained to. He's not making fun of him. He just says, oh, I'm chained to some prison guard, but I think I've been able to advance the gospel through him. He's literally sharing the gospel with the prison guard that he is chained to. He isn't saying this is a mess. He isn't telling the Philippians church, help, pray that I get out of this mess. He's not doing any of that. None of that is happening. He wasn't focused on it. All he was focused on was the gospel. But turn this to modern day. We are so quick to bring it to social media when we have a bad experience somewhere. Like, like our one comment will keep people away from a restaurant. <laughs> like anybody cares about what I put on Facebook? Look, look, if you go through my Facebook feed, very rarely are there comments on my, on my posts. Very rarely do I get likes. I can put out that Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and I might not get one like on it. But I can put out there that I had a bad experience at a restaurant for lunch today, and I might get 50 comments. You know why? Because people feed into that junk. But what if we just fill the timeline with the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Y'all know that song, right? Like, okay, I did good today, Bethany. Uh, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, you probably didn't get that. But uh, there was a song I sang, nobody knew what it was. Um, seriously, though, we are so quick. And we're so quick to, to judge it and to judge others and fill the Facebook up with garbage when really it's our platform to share the name of Jesus. You know why people don't like my stuff on Facebook? <laughs> because they don't know Jesus. They're not in it. They don't, they don't want to be seen commenting on it. Listen, church. We are in a, a world today do they want to tell us what we can do and what we can't do? They, they want to tell us what, what, what shoe to put on, if it's going to be on the left foot or the right foot. But we have a platform in front of us that God has given us to be used for the sake of the gospel. And when we're given the opportunity to use it, 
We don't do well with it. We feed into other people. We, 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 then the next thing you know, is gossip. it's a gossip fest. And then we're complaining about everything. We're quick to say our day's not going well. Some, some may even go out on a limb and complain about their spouse or their kids. I've seen that before. We can learn from Paul. Paul doesn't share any of that. His focus remains on pleasing God. If anything, we can read from Paul that he says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. You know, that will preach to this preacher right here because God knows I do a lot of that. I started, I started thinking this week how many times I've had a complaint fest or a, grunt, a grumbling fest and nobody cares about it. <laughs> like, nobody wants to hear that. Quickly, God reminds me this week. He says, I'm bigger than all that stuff. You know, there, there's been times in my life over the last two weeks that I have just wanted to complain and hope somebody hears me. And God's like, I hear you, man. You don't have to complain to the whole world. I got you. I, I hear your heart. And so Paul mentions that it isn't about what happens to me. It's all about what happens through me. His entire focus was not on the prison, but it was entirely on the purpose. It was on what was happening to him. Notice in verse 12, this is what happened through him. He said, actually, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Furthering the gospel or advancing the gospel means making a headway despite severe blows. It is this idea that I'm having uh, progress despite persecution. I'm advancing. Surges are happening and whatever is happening to me, don't worry about that part. Paul says what is happening through me is what matters and the gospel is advancing despite all of the plans. All of the plans being shattered in that moment. Paul says, I am chained to my home and not allowed to go anywhere. He mentions what really is important is that the gospel is surging and the gospel is going out. And this is dramatic experience that has taken place. So imagine Paul being chained to this uh, palace guard and this guard is, is probably like, man, here I am with this guy again. Like, they could have given me any prisoner and I've got to be stuck with him. And he's like, this man never stops proclaiming the gospel. This guy won't stop. Well, guess what? They did shifts back then. <laughs> and so sometimes Paul may see three or four palace guards in a day. <laughs> and so he gives this palace guard an earful, and then they switch off, and Paul starts giving another one. Paul was smart, so throughout a week, there's no telling how many guards he was able to speak the gospel to. But because of Paul's obedience and trust in Christ, Paul writes in Philippians 1 that the furtherance of the gospel has been evident. And listen to this. He says, to the whole palace guard. Because of his faithfulness, he was able to see guards' lives changed. And guess what? As these lives are changed, guess what's going to happen to the whole palace? The whole palace is going to begin to be changed. Paul said, it has become evident that my chains are in Christ. So here is the people that wanted Paul locked up pretty much to shut him up from sharing the gospel. The man's now in prison. Paul is still running his mouth about a man named Jesus. It's not going to stop him. No matter the circumstance, Paul remains faithful to proclaim Jesus. It wasn't what was happening to him. It was what was happening through him to further it. Lives were still being changed despite the change of plans. Everyone now knew why he was there, and it was simply because of the name of Jesus. Why are we sitting in the church house today? It's only because of the name of Jesus. Why did you wake up this morning, turn off the alarm clock, get dressed, get in your car, and go to church? It's all because of Jesus. Why are you waking up tomorrow morning to go to church? church or go to work it's all because of jesus why are you going to go to bible study this week it's all because of jesus why do you put the shoes on your feet because of jesus listen one of the first things i learned 
in church planting, I had, I had a pastor tell me this. He said, boy, the only way you're going to be able to tell if you're being productive or not in church planting is if you're having to change your shoes out every couple of months. Because your shoe leather is going to get worn out. He said, if you're not he said, if you're not wearing out your shoe leather, you ain't doing your job. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Look, I, I remember those 95-degree 90, days walking the streets in Spencer trying to pass out some information. I remember the 95-degree day where the church van broke down and, and, and John's having to push that poor thing up a hill. I, I remember the furtherance of the gospel. I remember those days. I remember very, uh, look, it was pretty much every year at Christmas time. Uh, mom asked, hey, what do, you want for, what do you want for Christmas this year? I'd tell her I wanted a new pair of shoes. Why? Because my shoe leather had been worn out. Literally this week, I burned a hole in one of my shoes. Anybody ever burned a hole in the bottom of their shoe before? Yeah, you wore it out. That's what we're supposed to do with the gospel. Wear it out. And so not only did Paul's mission field expand, his mission team had expanded. Just think about it. He wasn't telling them, just get me out of here. He wasn't saying, look at what's going on in my life. No, he was concerned about the gospel being shared in the middle of prison. The palace guard is simply getting saved, and people are being discipled, and Paul is bringing them up. They were becoming bolder, and they were becoming better disciple makers for Jesus Christ. I want to give you a few applications this morning. We're going to finish this thing up before we get there, though. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, did you know that, that sometimes that the greatest moments of productivity come when the times aren't looking pretty? Did you know that? Uh, maybe, maybe things in our life are not looking too, too good right now. Maybe it's not looking pretty at work. Your family just seems to be struggling. The economy's not getting better. And we're just like, what is the point? But sometimes the greatest productivity comes in the moments that aren't very attractive. Hey, it's when God takes all of our plans, He takes all of our ideas, when He puts them on hold, or even worse, He squashes them entirely. I've been there, done that before. I've been in those situations where we've done an event, you spend a whole bunch of money to try to uh, get the crowd to show up, and it doesn't happen. But yet I can give one invite card out to somebody at a restaurant the next Sunday to show up. Those are the kind of moments. It's the power of an invite. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of you going out and being the hands and feet. Listen, if we're waiting for them to show up because of a community event, we're doing it wrong. If we're waiting for them to show up and just come up in droves for Vacation Bible School, we're doing it wrong. Church, this week, we have to get out and we have to actively proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and actively invite people to come here. They're not just going to show up. It's not going to happen just because we have a church sign. It's not going to happen because the church sign lights up at night. It's not going to happen because there's a banner out there on the front of the fence. Some of you probably haven't even seen it out there because uh, I know I haven't really. And so you just forget about it. There are times where we have to activate ourselves and to give a power of an invite. So as you leave today, you're going to get an invite for Vacation Bible School. This is what I want you to do with it. When you go to lunch today, I want you to give it to your waitress. If you don't go to lunch today, I want you to give it to somebody. We don't care who it goes out to, but it's the power of an invite. Many times we just wait and we wait and we wait. We want our friends to show up. We want our families to show up. And it's not just going to happen. If we haven't talked to them about Jesus this week, what makes us think it's going to happen? People aren't setting their alarm clocks like we do for Sunday mornings. You know what they're doing? They're sleeping in. You know what else they're doing? They're going to the lake. You know what else they're doing? They may go on, on a vacation or whatever it is. I don't know. It's whatever they do on Sundays. I don't, I don't know because my life has always been revolved around church on Sunday. That's, that's literally what I was engraved to know. But we live in a world today that needs to hear Jesus. And church... The only way for that to happen is for us to go be obedient and do it. Listen, two things, and then we're going to finish. Number one, we have to stay committed to the purpose. 
as we close out this series, we have to stay committed to the purpose. What is the purpose? Why do we do what we do? To elevate the name of Jesus. Listen, we're not here to elevate the name of Cross Life Church. As much as we, we want to let people know about what's happening at Cross Life, it isn't about Cross Life. I want you to, to take that out of your brain for a moment. I don't tell you to do that very often. But I want you to replace Cross Life with Jesus. It's all about Him. And if you believe in what we're doing here at Cross Life Church, if you believe in what we are preaching, what we are, what we are doing for ministry and how we're impacting people around us, then Jesus should be easy to elevate. It should be easy to invite somebody to the church house. We don't have to share what kind of denomination we are. Let them see it. Listen, we say we're a Southern Baptist church. We, we, we are a Southern Baptist church. By doctrine, we're a Southern Baptist church. Do you see it on the church sign? No. We want people to know that Jesus is why we exist. Stay committed to that purpose. Stay committed. Follow Christ. Be changed. And commit to the mission of Christ. My encouragement to you today is to make disciples and build those lives up that they are willing to follow a disciple of Jesus. Discipleship isn't a two-day plan. It is a lifelong journey. Discipleship is living life together, doing life together, working with one another, finding another one to bring on with you. I remember as I was studying for my, for my master's degree with, with discipleship being the area of study, I focused that degree on one of the things I learned was that disciples make disciples. Stay committed. Stay committed to that purpose. And the last thing, don't get distracted by what is happening to you. Don't get distracted by what is happening to you. Instead, focusing on what is happening through you. If I can give you any encouragement this morning, it would be this. Hey, life is full of distractions. Every single day, we're distracted. Listen, all you got to do is turn on the TV and you get distracted. Uh, if you've ever watched my five-year-old run around, she can be going to that pew right there, but she's going to see something catches her eye and she's going to go left every time. She's going to get distracted. There's going to be moments where you are on the road and you're going to get distracted. There's going to be moments when you're at work and you're going to get distracted. There's going to be moments as a church that we think we know the way and Satan's going to distract us to get us back off that path. There's going to be those days but we need to be taught today what it means to be discipled. Don't get distracted by the short term. Stay committed to the long term. It is so easy for me some days to get distracted by those short-term goals, those short-term markers, those, uh, those short-term things that, that, that just uh, literally engulf us, not only for the life of my, myself and my family, but for the church. And sometimes those short-term goals can just wear you out. That's what's happening in my life right now. I'm focusing on those short-term goals, and it's wearing me completely out. But the long-term is where God finds longevity with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Disciples can't be made. They can't be fully made in the short term. It just won't happen. It doesn't work that way. It has to be a long-term commitment for those individuals. So I go back to what I said in week number one of the series. We are just ordinary people living an ordinary life with a purpose to see real life disciple making. As our worship team comes up, maybe maybe it's you today that needs to be brought up in Christ. Maybe maybe you've never been discipled before. Maybe you've never been on that journey before. And you're like, Pastor, I'm ready. I am so ready to get on this journey. I'm so ready to be brought up, to be taught the way. I want to know Jesus more fully. Maybe that is you today. I remember the first time somebody told me, Pastor Jim, I remember when he said, Thomas, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to bring you up. I had no idea what that meant. I thought, hey, we're going to be in a six-week study. Man, we did that for three years every Tuesday night in his office. And him just pouring into me. 
And because of him doing that, I kept the faith. Because of him doing that, I didn't let the distractions get to me. And I'm so thankful for those moments. I wish I could just go back and sit in Pastor Jim's office one more time. And let him pour into me. I was a sponge at that time. But then I remember going to Fruitland and, and being a part of, of, of those studies. And I had classmates, especially the older classmates that I had, that just poured into me. That wanted me to be on mission with them. Church, we can have the same thing right here at Cross Life where people are just pouring into each other. As Mike begins to play, I want you to think about it just for a moment. What kind of disciple of Christ am I? Have I been grown up in it? Have I just been saved? But nobody's ever taught me how? Listen, this is the response today that we want you to have. I want more. I want more and more of Jesus. I want to trust Him fully with my life. So at the end of the day, I can be a disciple maker of Him. Because it doesn't stop with you. Somebody poured the gospel into you so that you could pour it into somebody else. What are we going to do with that? Maybe today you're sitting in the sanctuary and you just don't know Jesus. You've never given your life to Him. You, you, you think you know about Him. You, you know all the right answers. You know the story of David that I shared. You know the story of Noah. You know the story of Abraham. You know the story of the little boy with the, with the five loaves and the two fish. You know the story of Jesus. You know that He died for you. You know that He rose for you. You know all of those facts. But you've never inside had a heart change because of Jesus. Maybe today is your day that Jesus wants to change your life. If that's you during this invitational time, I invite you to come up. Maybe you want to be a disciple maker. Maybe you're like, look, I've been discipled, but I've never led somebody else in discipleship. Look, we've got a place for you. We want you to start pouring into people. We want you to start doing the duty of being a believer of Jesus Christ. And that's simply going out and leading somebody else. And so if that's you today, Hey, we want to get you plugged in. We want to find you somebody. We're going to find you a man or a woman. If you're, if you're a man, we're going to find you a man. If you're a woman, we're going to find you a woman. And we're going to let you do some real-life disciple-making right here in the church. You come if you need to come. You pray for God to use you as an instrument, as His instrument for the glory of Jesus in His name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we love you. And during this moment of invitation, God, I just pray you would call us out. Lord, that you would help us in this moment to be true disciple makers of you. Lord, that we would multiply out. God, that you would help each and every one of us be a multiplier. God, not a divider, not a subtractor, but a multiplier. God, there's somebody in this room today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, I pray it every Sunday morning. I just pray, God, that they would walk out. They would, they would stand up, they would walk out, they would walk this aisle and give their life to you. Lord, have your will, have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. You come if you need to come today.